that uh, the Apostles' Creed put to music. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone too, uh, being away for eight weeks and we've still, the building's still here, uh, we're still here which is great. Uh, lots of people uh, pulled extra weight during that time and made sure that everything kept going which is wonderful and uh, uh, I know that uh, God's been working in different people's lives over that time and you heard lots of different people preach uh, and uh, challenged in different ways. It's good to hear a different voice every now and then. My wife says that's good all the time to hear a different voice. Uh, it's good to have a, a different voice, isn't it, uh, to be hearing from and listening to, so it's a great thing. Uh, and we're really very thankful for all that uh, everyone did while we were away. Uh, but the best voice to hear in all of it, isn't it, is God's voice and God's word. And so we're going to hear from uh, God's word now, from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Uh, it's, uh, Romans chapter 8, I think if I could have one part of the Bible uh, kept together... Everything else, and you've lost everything else, gone. If I could have Romans chapter 8, I think I would be uh, overjoyed. It's one of my favourite parts of the Bible. It's a wonderful chapter. Uh, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit, uh, a little bit later. And Betty's going to come and read it for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Thanks, Betty. Not used to speaking so much, so I have to have a drink of water. Well, as you know, we've been uh, away for eight weeks. Uh, we've been on long service leave. 
And so uh, I was thinking this morning, how can I uh, do a couple of things? One is to tell you a little bit about our trip, so you don't have to ask me all the questions afterwards. Um, uh, but at the same time, also uh, something about uh, how the trip has impacted me personally in regards to what I learnt while I was away too. So as I was thinking through that, uh, I came up with this title, Italy and Israel, Spectacularly Sad. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we spent the first four weeks of our holiday in Italy, uh, touring around Italy. Uh, we had a car for two weeks. Uh, that's why I'm greyer and Karina's greyer. Uh, it was a pretty interesting thing travelling around Italy in a car. Uh, we survived for two weeks and then the other two weeks we travelled by a whole lot of different things. So let me tell you where we went so you can work out where it is. So we started in Rome uh, and then we went down to this place here called the Amalfi Coast. That's where we drove and almost died. Uh, then we went from the Amalfi Coast up here to in between Florence and Siena. Spent eight great days there. Then went across this place called Cinque Terre or Cinque Terre, depending on uh, how you say it. Then across here to Verona, then up to Milan, and then up to a place called Lake Como, which is the lake region, region over here. Then across here to Venice, and then over to Trieste. Um, so that was pretty huge, uh, a great time. And then, yep, Karina, just that, thank you. Good that you're here. Uh, from Trieste back to Rome. Ooh. Back to here. Uh, so that was the first four weeks uh, and uh, amazing stuff. And then we went uh, from Rome. We had a cruise that went from Rome, uh, dropped into Napoli, they call it, or Naples, and went to Pompeii. And then we went down and around here, all the way down to uh, near Jerusalem to a place called uh, Ashdod. Uh, spent two days there and then went from there up to a place called above Tel Aviv to place called Haifa, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And then from there up to Athens, and then from Athens, oh no, sorry, Mykonos, which is somewhere in the middle here, and then Athens, then back to Crete, and then up through this gap here, I think, yep, and then up back to Rome, so there, on a cruise. So that's what we did. Phenomenal, amazing, uh, once in a lifetime thing. thing. Uh, and as we travelled and did all those sorts of things, yeah, it looks a bit squashed, doesn't it, Brode? But that's what happens when you put on it. Uh, <laughs> it happened there. there was some amazing stuff. We saw lots of phenomenal sights. So uh, that's the Amalfi Coast uh, where we stayed. That's at our window looking down the coast to a phenomenally blue sea. Uh, the picturesque, beautiful Ravello is where we stayed. Uh, it blew you away. Some of the, the views that we saw were phenomenal. Uh, the countryside, that's in Florence, uh, or in the Tuscany area, uh, and as you look out from the Tuscany, that goes, takes you back to a place called Montepastori, and uh, all around, it's beautiful, there's church buildings everywhere, there's vineyards everywhere, they're in the middle of a drought as well, while we were there, and it rained for the first time in four months when we were there. Uh, so it looks a little bit green, but only just, it was very brown all around. But phenomenal countryside, uh, just beautiful all over the place. Uh, great food, that's squid and multiple lots of squid. That's in Venice, seafood, food everywhere. It was fantastic. Pizza, as much pizza as you could eat. Uh, lovely food, cheap wine, 
very cheap wine, uh, good wine, buy it anywhere. You walk along the road, you walk into a little takeaway store, you come out with uh, your panini and a bottle of beer or a bottle of wine. Uh, anywhere you go around there, you can pick it up, three bucks, and you walk away with a bottle of wine, which is dangerous. Uh, amazing architecture, uh, culture, that's David's, uh, Michelangelo's David. That is a phenomenal thing. You walk down this aisle and you come into it and it's just there at the end of this hall. And it's, uh, as we read one of the signs that are on the side, uh, they were saying this is the most beautiful uh, sculpture that you'll ever see. You don't need to see any other sculpture apart from this one. It is a phenomenal bit of uh, sculpture. I didn't go too close because it's, very graphic as well, <laughs> but uh, kept you at a distance just a little bit, but if you're there, it's all there, it's amazing. Uh, so the culture is phenomenal. Uh, there is the Leaning Tower of Pizza with uh, Karina holding it up, because it wasn't going to stand any longer until she was there. Uh, phenomenal as you look at that. Uh, history. The history. Uh, in Australia, we have history, but our Aboriginal people didn't build things. Uh, but history in Europe, they built stuff. So that's the Colosseum, uh, built before Jesus' time. Uh, that's what you see there. It is a masterpiece of design. Fitted over 90,000 people, as big as the MCG. It had uh, things at the top that would come out. They'd wind them out and they would protect the people from the sun. Underneath, you can see down there, is where they used to have the animals and the gladiators and they'd literally raise them up into the floor. Uh, they'd bring them up out from underneath and they could do all that. They had sea battles on there, they'd fill it with water. It is an amazing uh, piece of architecture and design and that's everywhere throughout Italy and throughout Israel. Thousands of years of people building stuff blows your mind as you're walking along and you think, this has been here for 3,000 years or 4,000 years. Phenomenal. And church buildings. El Domo is what they call them. There's El Domos everywhere. Uh, this is the one in the middle of Milan. And uh, if you go really close in, I don't know whether you can see it particularly off that photo, but the design on the outside of the building is crazy. Uh, and huge and in Italy particularly every town tried to build the most impressive El Domo because the one who had the biggest church was the biggest man or the biggest city you know the one with the most toys wins the one with the biggest church wins in Italy it was basically you had the biggest most ornate building so Milan and Florence and Rome Siena they, they all had competitions to see which one they could build the biggest but in all of that, and I haven't even touched on Israel too much yet, but in all this beauty and wonder was this huge darkness and sadness. Because the only people that are inside those buildings are tourists. There are tourists everywhere. Thousands of them. They're just everywhere. And what they do is they're paying to go into these buildings. They're paying to go in to see these buildings. 
They get inside, and don't get me wrong, some of them are spectacular. I mean, the artwork, thousands of years old artwork, or 500, 600 years old artwork on the... They are mind-blowing to think that anyone can even possibly paint them. But that's all that's in there. It's dark. There is no sense of Jesus and being alive in Jesus anywhere. In just about every building that you go into, every church building that you go into, every painting that you have, uh, they're mostly about Jesus' death. There's very little about Jesus' resurrection. Nine times out of ten, or more than that, probably 99% of the time, Jesus is on the cross. But the resurrected Jesus, we don't see him. He's not there. It's dark. It's very, 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 very sad. And when you get to Israel, it doesn't get that much better. Uh, and so people are doing all these things uh, and thinking that they're being religious but yet it's just broken emptiness. That's the Wailing Wall. And at the Wailing Wall, uh, the bottom section, the very bottom section that you can see there is all that's left of the original temple. Uh, the temple built back, uh, David's temple had been destroyed a couple of times, but the temple in Jesus' day uh, is only left, that's about all that's left of it. On top of that is the Dome of the Rock, which is... Uh, the second most holy place for Muslims. Uh, but this wall here, you come up to it and people are praying on that wall. They're holding onto that wall. And what the people, they, even the guides encourage you to do this, they encourage you to write down on a piece of paper your prayer to God and you stick it in the wall because this is the closest you'll ever get to God. And there are thousands of pieces of paper stuck in You get close... And there's all these pieces of paper in every little crack that you can find. And they're not allowed to destroy that. They've got to take that out and they go and they bury it. They're not allowed to fire it. They've got to, they, they do take them out every now and then. But it's just this religiosity. This dead religion doing things over and over and over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong, they are sincere. They are extremely sincere. The devout uh, conservative Jews are extremely sincere. Uh, the priests that walk around, all those Eldormos, as they're showing about, are sincere. But it's hollow religion in all of it. Or commercialism are the two things. Now, I took that photo because my father-in-law is called Rex, uh, and that's up an alleyway in the middle of the old city of Jerusalem. And that alleyway runs for hundreds of metres and it's just shop after 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 shop trying to sell you anything that you could think about like an apron that you can give to mum that I've been to Israel mum or you know all this stuff that you can think about commercial wise they were selling it and outside of all those Eldomos throughout Italy Shops after shop after shop after shop after shop after shop and I'm shopped out. There's shops everywhere. So religiosity, dead religion and commercialism in the place of Rome which is critical to the spread of the gospel, in the place of Israel where it started, 
And so that's why I've entitled it that it's spectacularly sad. Can anyone know who those two people are beside Karina and I? Remember who they are? The Edwards. So that's Graham, the one with the beard, and Sarah, <laughs> just in case you couldn't forget. Um, and Graham and Sarah in Trieste. And uh, they work in uh, Trieste and they are missionaries there and they're bringing the good news of Jesus to Trieste. And in Trieste, uh, it is a beautiful city. Uh, that's a, like a, a canal that's behind and we had uh, some lunch just near there. And it is a pretty city. A very pretty city. But in Trieste, there is probably at the most 150 Jesus-following people out of 200,000. And they're in a small, tiny, little congregation that's there. And in that small congregation, they've got about 30 people. And I reckon 15 of them are there uh, from out... They've been... They're part of... Some of them are part, have grown up there, but they're all supported by churches outside of there and Americans to be there working in that, in that place. So it's very sad. And as I was talking to Graham and Sarah about that, I think I've got another one of the kids, so you get a bit of the picture. That's in the little room that they meet um, underneath, uh, is it the kids' room? Yeah, down underneath they've got like two little rooms. Uh, we worry about the space that we have. They've got two little rooms underneath a block of units or something and they want to move from there, but that's where they're at. And that's Enzo and Sydney and they're gorgeous kids. But uh, it was interesting because Graham was telling me that we don't realise what happened with Italy. Uh, those of you, as I said before, this is the 500th anniversary on, the, on Tuesday of Martin Luther. Those who know Martin Luther, I'm going to give you some information to follow up if you don't know that a little bit later. Of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And that was one of the major... Uh, events that brought about the Reformation where Protestantism came from. So up until that point in time, Catholicism was basically everywhere within the known world and that was the Christianity that was around at that point in time. Uh, and Catholicism had, had taken over the whole world pretty much out of Rome uh, because in about 350 uh, AD, a guy by the name of Constantine was the emperor there and his, uh, his mother was converted to Christianity and she then brought the good news to him and then he was converted and then he made the decree that the whole Roman Empire will be Christian. And that's when the Roman Catholic Church comes from. And it sort of grew out of that and grew and grew and grew into something that didn't look anything like it was back at the time when Jesus was around and even when Constantine... Uh, became a Christian. It went off in a whole lot of tangents. Uh, it was all about popes. It was all about indulgences where you pay money to get out of purgatory. It was all about purgatory. It was all about you had to do good things uh, to be saved. That you're saved by grace, yes, but that grace comes every time you experience communion or every time you go to a priest and absolve yourself or every time you pay money to get out of uh, purgatory, And so all those big eldomols that you see around are paid by people who are putting money in to get out of purgatory, to pay their way out and get into heaven. 
And so Martin Luther came along and nailed the 95 Theses to the door and he was a Roman Catholic priest. We're going to learn about that a little bit more. And then that was the catalyst for what they called the Reformation. And the Reformation was basically bringing us back to Jesus. Back to the Bible. And the, the Bible is the authority and not popes and not councils, but the Bible. And that Jesus was the only one that saves. Amen, brother. Uh, and so uh, Graham and Sarah told me that what happened was as the Reformation spread, as the Reformation took off throughout Europe, it made its way down and then got to Italy and stopped. So at a place called Trent, and we're going to come back to that. Uh, so Trento, you can see there, there's a thing called the Council of Trent if you want to read your history books, and there was what they had, the Catholic Counter-Reformation, where basically they reaffirmed the fact that indulgences were all right, that you need to earn your way to heaven, that basically the popes were infallible and all the stuff, and that the Vulgate and all the other things that they'd added to the Bible were all still true, and that they were going to kill anyone that didn't believe in that. And so at Trento, the Reformation stopped. And so the Reformation never got to Italy. And so Italy has never had a major turning of people from works-orientated salvation to Jesus alone salvation. And so it's dark. It's extremely dark. Karina and I went on a couple of times to see if we could find... Uh, a Protestant or evangelical church in any of the towns that were there. How oh, rare as hen's teeth. There might have been one. There was one in Milan. Couldn't find anything in Rome. Trieste, there's a couple, and the, the one that we know because Graham and Sarah are there. But the rest of it is just this Catholicism that is still not being reformed. Still living, in one sense on all the ideas of the doctrines that they had back then. And so it's spectacularly sad. So please pray for Graham and Sarah because they and a few of the guys that are there are only the few amongst all that place were trying to draw people back to Jesus. And it's tough for them. It's tough. Because people, so a lot of the Catholicism over there, they think that they're okay because they were born into the Catholic Church, so they're going to be okay. So they're not making commitments to Jesus, they're not trusting in Jesus. They think they're trusting in Catholicism and the Catholic Church. And they're lost. And it's sad. It's terribly sad. And so all those eldomos are vacant. Because ultimately religion destroys relationship. And Jesus is about relationship. Um, this is a picture that I went, we went into the church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre which is in Israel which is in Jerusalem in the old city Lynn did you go there? Yeah. I'm about to say the same thing so the Holy Sepulchre uh, you do the walk of possibly where Jesus walked up. you feel him going up the hill in the old Jerusalem so you can imagine that walking along with him carrying the cross and you make your way up and you get to this place 
uh, where probably was Golgotha, so it probably was the hill where Jesus died. Uh, anything that happened anywhere in Israel that Jesus did something, they build a building on it. They stick a, a church building on it, wherever it is. And so they've put this big church building on top of it. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, inside, uh, you come into this, it's fairly dark, and then you make your way up into this little tight little room, and up in the tight little room, there's this little area, and underneath it is a rock, that they believe is the rock that Jesus was crucified on. So as you walk in there, uh, it, doesn't, it looks a bit like that, but even more ornate. There's uh, red glowing uh, candles everywhere. There's little altars in different places. There's an altar there. And there's a Coptic Christian uh, Orthodox priest telling you, shh, no, be quiet, no, all the time. Move on, move on. Because people are just filing through this Thousands of people filing through all the way through. Uh, and people go and they touch. People go and they kiss. And then as you come down out of that, there's this slab of um, marble that they believe Jesus was laid on when he died, which is probably not true. Um, and people are rubbing it with their clothes for good luck. People are kissing it. People are holding on to it and, and getting their photos with it that this is good luck, that they can touch this, they can somehow get a blessing out of being there. Uh, and then you go around the corner, which is only probably 15, 20 metres, and you come to this, uh, which is, looks like a what? A shrine, doesn't it? The one for the, up on the top looks like a shrine too, and this looks like a shrine. And this is where they say uh, Jesus was buried in the tomb. Now that's probably pretty unlikely as well. Uh, one is it's too close to the hill. <laughs> Golgotha, and secondly because it was probably more likely he was taken. Uh, there's another one called the Garden Tomb, which was probably more likely to be something like that. But here, people line up for 15, 20 minutes to come in, you climb in underneath, you go in underneath there, and you look in and you can just see this little thing that possibly could have been the cave, that possibly could have been Jesus buried. And people go in there to get a blessing. dark, isn't it? It's oppressive. I actually didn't go in and have a look. Karina went in and had a look at that one. I, I literally was feeling ill and I sat back and prayed for all these people that were there. It's so sad. And I'm going to need to go back because religion destroys relationship. It can be sincere religion, don't get me wrong but it becomes hollow, it becomes just superstition, it becomes possibilities and maybes, and there's no life. No, don't go in there. It's, it's just a procession. And so the Reformation hit, and the Reformation changed all that, and the Reformation transformed and changed what we do here today. So we're here today in one sense, because of the Reformation. Now, we would say here, we're here today because it was Jesus. First and foremost, that's it. Uh, but there was a very dark period of 1,400 years where that good news of Jesus kept getting put in layer upon layer upon layer of other things, and it got lost and became tradition and religion and all these other things. And so in 
500 years ago, Martin Luther, after reading Romans, decided that he needed, this wasn't right. And so he nailed against the door 95 theses. Now, at that point in time, Martin Luther didn't want to leave the Roman Catholic Church. He just wanted to have a discussion because he started reading the Bible for the first time. He started reading the Old Testament and the New Testament. He started reading Romans and he started to say, this does not match. Stuff that we are doing doesn't work. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as indulgences. There's no such thing as being able to work your way to heaven. There's no such thing as Mary being the intercessor for you. Mary is huge in Italy. I met a guy on the boat who would say to us that it's the Father, the Son, the Spirit and Mary. It's the quadruple trinity. It doesn't work, does it? But it's a quadrinity. Uh, because basically, the son, he's got too much to do, but the mother, she can do it. She's the intercessor. And do you know, she's got power because she said, he said to Corinna, you know, you're a mum. You've got influence over your sons. And she says, no, I don't. Uh, he said, you've got influence over your sons. And he said to her, he says, Mary has influence over Jesus. And so you go to Mary because Mary has influence over Jesus and then you'll get to heaven, you'll get to be able to speak to you. She's the one you go through. Oh, a poor girl, you're just sitting in the guy and you're thinking, mate. He was a lovely fellow, Albert. He was good value. I think we scared him, but he was good value. Um, And he was on a pilgrimage. He was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He was on a pilgrimage because he had no assurance that he was saved. He was a converted Catholic. 100% believed in it thinks the Pope at the moment is a bit soft, uh, converted. He's been, he, he reads all this stuff. Uh, he doesn't read the Bible. He reads all this stuff about Mary and all these visions that people are having about Mary. And we said to Albert, but do you read the Bible? He says, no, no, I find it a bit boring. I only read it for reference. I said, Albert, read the Bible. All these guys who you're talking about, you want to be, they're the ones that say that this is the truth. This is where it is. But you're going to secondary sources. Go to the original. And that's what Martin Luther said too. He said, stop going to popes. Stop going to councils. Come to the original. So I'm just going to watch a quick clip that will give you a bit of an idea of that. And I put it on the wrong thing. So Mick, could you hit that? The first thing I ask that people should not make use of my name. For what or who is this Luther? Hmm? The world dwells in darkness. The world is darkness. The stars were aligned for a perfect storm and that's what we got with the genius of Martin Luther. The time for silence is over. The time to speak has come. He said, the church has got it backwards. He was speaking boldly. He was just saying the word that needed to be said. So for the sake of scripture, we should reject both pope and councils. Luther's views on this were radical. They revolutionized society. There was a suspicion that the whole thing was a kind of spiritual con.
and I will not retract anything. It's pretty amazing that he did not die as a murdered man. If I am shown my errors, I will be the first to throw my books on the fire. I am bound to defend the truth with my blood and death. This is extortion. For Luther, the Reformation was a return, taking the church back to the foundation of the scripture. One might say Luther was like the first celebrity. I did nothing. The word did everything. So you can go online and you can watch uh, that a bit further. So there's actually there's a number of different movies you can watch about Luther. It's worth looking at if you've never looked at it before. Uh, go back and have a, have a listen or have a read. I've got a couple of books at the end I'll encourage you to think about reading as well. Uh, but within it, as he said at the end, he says, Martin Luther says, I didn't do anything. The Word did everything. He says, as Martin Luther came back, and drew us back to the scriptures and drew us back to Jesus. He says, that's our authority. And so that's where the Reformation comes. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I'll keep coming through till we get back to where we are. Uh, and this is where Romans 8 comes in because I said to you before, Romans was the book that Martin Luther was reading that just transformed him. So up until this point in time, Romans 1 to 7, if you read it, you get to the end of Romans 1 to 7 and Paul says in that, he says, what a wretched man am I. I'm gone, I'm destroyed. If I can get to heaven by following the law or doing good things, I'm gone. I'm completely lost. Life is not worth it. No one can be good enough to get to heaven. No one can follow anything by themselves to get there. And so in Romans 8 he says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because it's because of Jesus. Jesus steps in and takes our condemnation for us so that we don't have to. And that's a revolutionising idea. And Jesus just didn't take that on the cross, but then he rose again. You see, I remember before I said in Italy, you very rarely do you see the resurrection because it's all still about the cross in one sense, that the sacrifice needs to keep being paid. So when you take communion in uh, Roman Catholicism, when you do that in, in Italy, then you are re-sacrificing Jesus all the time because you haven't got it right yet. Uh, there's a guy that works with um, the Edwardses. He's a pastor there. He was a Catholic, converted from Catholicism. He has to take communion every day. Because the concept is uh, that he knew that you were saved by grace. We would say that, amen, wouldn't we? Saved by grace. But their grace comes every time they take the sacraments. So you have to have baptism, uh, confirmation, and communion and every time you take communion you receive grace and that's how you're saved so you've got to keep taking all the time so he would got to the point that basically he was taking communion every day because he needed to receive that grace because he knew that he couldn't he was getting the idea that he couldn't live by himself he couldn't do enough for God so he needed God's grace so he thought well I need to do communion because that's how I receive grace and then when he realised that it's only by Jesus that we receive his grace that we have no condemnation, we don't need to sacrifice Jesus anymore. We don't receive it through anything other than him, his life, death and resurrection. 
and it set him free. So him and his wife moved out of the Catholic Church in Trieste and then over time joined with a group of people and over time he's become the pastor. And he's out there and he, he's so passionate about it because he sees his fellow Triestians, Italians, who keep thinking they've got to keep getting it. Whereas we've got it all in Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all been done by Jesus. And then because of that, because Jesus has risen, which we don't hear much about over there or don't see much about, this is a mind-blowing thing. Look at these couple of verses at the end there, verse 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from dead is living in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit who lives in you. Three times, what do they say? We have the Spirit within us. That is mind-blowing, guys. We don't have to go to the priest. We don't have to go to the Wailing Wall. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to the Holy Sepulchre. We don't have to go to the Upper Room. We don't have to, we don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to be here. We have the Spirit within us. Jesus lives within us. Ah. I don't think we completely understand that and I don't comprehend it completely myself either, but... That is what gives us life. You go from darkness to life because Jesus gives his spirit to live within you so you can live life. You don't have to live in the darkness anymore. You don't have to be doubt anymore. You don't have to worry about us being assured anymore. You don't have to go and expect all these things anymore. It's all yours in him. That is the life that we have. We are alive in Jesus. We're not dead. Jesus is not still on the cross. Jesus is off the cross. He is risen. He is alive and he's alive in you through his spirit. That is a phenomenal power that you have within you. Uh, growing up as kids, one of the things we used to hate was when the grandparents bought you battery-operated toys. Battery-operated toys. It would drive you crazy, wouldn't it? Because... With a battery-operated toy, often you'd get the toy, but you wouldn't get the batteries, and so there'd be tears, because it doesn't work. Uh, and then the battery-operated toy, you put the batteries in, and then the batteries would run down, and there'd be tears, because the battery doesn't work. And then you decide, well, we'll get uh, rechargeable batteries. And so you'd get the toy, and you have the rechargeable batteries going, and then when, the when your child wants to use it, they're not ready. And then when you use them, they last for 15 minutes, and then there's tears. It's just tears all around, isn't it, with battery-operated toys because you've got to keep putting the batteries in. You've got to keep getting it going. You've got to keep getting the grace. You need to keep getting the energy. You need to keep getting the... We don't need to keep getting, guys. We have Jesus by his Spirit living within us. Being spectacularly dead, in Italy means we were spectacularly alive because of Jesus and his Spirit within us. And those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Our minds have changed. We now start thinking about what Jesus will want us to do. And don't get me wrong, my mind always wants to go back the other way too. But the Spirit gives us power to go the other way, to turn to Him. Don't need to turn to indulgences. Don't need to turn to religion. 
We turn to the Spirit and to what He wants within us. Uh, here's a little bit of history for you, and I'm going to wind it up very quickly after this if you're wondering how long He's going to keep going for. Uh, there is uh, in... Uh, yeah, wow. Um, so in the Reformation, there were five solas that were the things that they brought us back to. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gracias, Grace alone. Sola Fide, Faith alone. Sola Christus, in Christ alone. Solo Dio Gloria, to glory to God alone. Which you want to put it into English for us. Our authority is in Scripture alone. No Pope, no Council. Scripture, no priest, not me, not our denomination, Scripture alone. And our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen. That's what we want to be on about, guys. That's what we're on about here. That's what I've learned as we've gone through our time in Italy and in Israel. And there's a whole lot more that we could talk about. But that's it, isn't it? Scripture is our authority. Grace is how we're saved. Faith is what we put our trust in. And Jesus alone, for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we don't need to be in a dead religion, Lord, but we're in a live relationship with you because of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you and thank you for Jesus. We want to praise and thank you for Martin Luther. We want to praise and thank you for all those that went before and after that wanted to draw us back to the Scriptures, back to Jesus alone, Lord. And may we always keep doing that here. May we forever, Lord, encourage ourselves not to run into dead religion but be alive in Jesus because of your Spirit that lives within us, Lord. As we look into your Word and as your Word brings life to us, Lord, and changes us and challenges us and transforms us. Heavenly Father, may we always build one another up in that and encourage one another in that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.